0: This is Space Camp. Weather tracking shows storm building at
1: 26,000 feet. Advise return. I repeat, advise return. My sister's dying up there, Mr. Wick. Up there, you're not dying. You're dead.
0: Mount Everest climbing permit? Oh, I hate paying death tolls. I'm Joe Fulgham.
1: Why record the podcast? Because it's there. I'm Torrin Atkinson.
2: K2's got a bad altitude. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda.
1: Bam. Mountain comes from Latin,
2: Mons. The first half of Monster... Oh, nice! Yeah. So, mons—the uh, monsters and mountains, uh, trolls and whatnot—to stand out or project is the definition of mons in Latin. So, monster is uh, mm. when you project a stick that you can, you know, put your sugar and cream oh, into your coffee. Right.
0: Well, monsters stir up trouble. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah, they do. Of course, they do. Acrophobia is the fear
1: of heights. I uh-huh. found alpinophobia on sites like Answer.com. Oh,
0: yeah, always reliable. Mm. Mm.
2: I got acrobatophobia. You're scared of acrobats?
0: That's your fear of no, flying no.
2: Grayson's? No, I'm scared of uh, bats coming out of caves on tops of mountains. And, oh, okay. Like, pushing me right oh, off. Oh,
0: acrobat. Mm-hmm.
2: acrobat. Yep. We might do a skiing accidents episode, maybe?
1: Sure, some why not?
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: We
1: might we, do an avalanches we'll, episode. We, we we'll, spend,
2: we'll spend an hour talking about uh, Sonny Bono. We'll do a whole series on
0: foolish things that you do for fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. Foolish fun. Like podcasts. I haven't been hurt from this podcast. Have you? Oh, still time. I've hurt your feelings. That's right.
1: So many feelings times. have been hurt, and also the sticks and stones have broken my bones.
0: Oh, <laughs> in the podcast, we should yeah.
2: stop throwing those around the studio. Yeah. We, we, guys, when are on. we
0: going to release that sticks and stones episode? <laughs> because I thought some of the stuff we did in the studio was some of the finest work we've ever done.
2: Yeah, so. it was just a lot of torn going. Ooh,
0: out! I out!
2: pop quiz. Got it. Let's bring it. Bring it on. I'm not going to call out
1: individual names. Just if you if Shout you if you know, and by no I mean no, <laughs>
2: in the, you know the way that I know things. Yeah. Just uh, call it out. What are the 8,000ers? Oh, people who've gone above the 8,000-foot uh, line because that is – I learned in a movie I watched this week that that is called the death zone. You ruined question number two. Oh.
1: But <laughs>
0: – That's a bonus you point. are You are wrong. Oh. What? Oh. I'm wrong, and I ruined question Uh, number two. The 8,000er, that's the club of people who've actually made it in the Mile High Club. It has nothing to do with Mountaineering. It's just having sex in a bath.
2: Yeah, it's going to be the 10,000er in a couple years. Yeah.
1: The eight ers are the 14 independent mountains on Earth that are more than 8,000 meters. Oh. Uh, not people. Not the people. Which is 26,247 feet for those of us in America. Or what's the other country that uses? Feet? Uh, yeah, feet. I think everybody
2: uses feet, Torrin. We use them to walk around. <laughs> oh, you're right. My right. mistake.
1: All eight thousanders are lo- located in the Himalayan and Karakoram mountain ranges in Asia. Yeah, there you they go. They are mountains whose summits are in the death zone. Ah, which is uh, uh, above a certain point where the amount of oxygen is insufficient to sustain human life.
2: Yeah. Death Except death. if you're a Sherpa, evidently. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: evidently. Considering this episode, I thought the death zone was when you get to that place in your life where you decide to go climb up hugely tall mountains. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, he's going to go do something foolish and die. Oh, so it's like it's
2: right before or right after you buy your Porsche?
0: It's Well, Mm -hmm. it's right after the danger zone. Yeah. Oh, Uh,
2: Kenny Loggins. You
0: enter the danger zone, and then because of the danger, you enter the death zone. Got it. Got it. What mountain has the highest summit to fatality rate? Uh, K2? Yeah, because
2: in like 1991, I watched a movie called K2, and that's where I learned that uh, it's actually more deadly than Everest. Well, K2 has the second highest fatality
1: rate, with 302 summits and 80 fatalities. About one person dies on the mountain for every four who summit on K2. Mm -hmm. It is more difficult and hazardous to reach the pass of K2 from the Chinese side. Thus, it is usually climbed from the Pakistani side. Mm -hmm. K2 has never been climbed during Mm wintertime. So to answer the question, Annapurna in central Nepal, 191 summits and 61 fatalities.
0: So oh, three. three. wow
1: a summit to fatality rate
2: <laughs> wow why would anybody try to climb that mountain yeah. when you have a one in three chance of dying
0: like a, yeah at what at what odds when you start hearing well this mountain's got this many deaths and this many summits what percentage of, what's the cutoff you know yeah, you do, like, where 50 do you 50 go 50. no i'm not gonna
2: 50 50 it's a fl- when it's a when it's a coin flip when you go, well, when you're not, climbing these partner. aren't even
0: a these aren't even a coin flip.
2: That's me. what I'm saying. That's the cutoff. That's where people go. Okay, that's too
0: deadly. Oh, I was saying, what, at what point would you go? Like, if they go, at what point would I go? Yeah, oh, only, how low does it only? Go? Yeah,
2: only yeah, 0%, <laughs> 0% zero percent.
0: 0 percent chance of death. That's how not, low it has to go. People have died going up Baker Mountain. So you'd not, yeah. you'd not, you know, but or like, enfeebled people or people who get like. Well, that's what you do. If
1: you're gonna go up and you get a party of three. Okay. And you make sure one of them is like a twelve-year-old child with <laughs> asthma. So okay. Put a bullet in, a right. and then that
2: person dies, and you're clear. Right. You go out with three, and then you just bring a gun, and then you <laughs> shoot that go. person. <laughs> bang! You get to the summit. You're like bang. You're like, all right, we're safe on the way down. Yeah.
0: The gods have been pleased. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What does the K
1: stand for in K2? K two? Uh,
0: Killer. Krakatoa. It's the second Krakatoa eruption.
1: <laughs> mm. Well, I said it before. The Karakoram. Oh, is oh. the large mountain range spanning the borders between Pakistan, India, and China. The name K two is derived from the notation used by the Great Trigonometric Survey of British India. Wow. Thomas Montgomery made the first survey of the Karakoram and stretched the two most sketched the two most prominent peaks, labeling them them K1 and K2. And K1 is Everest? I think it's K1.
2: Oh, I think K1 is K1. Uh,
0: Masherbrum is the name of K1. There you go. Masherbrum.
2: But it's only the 22nd highest mountain in the world.
0: It is uh, 7,821 meters or 25,600 feet tall. This should
2: have been K2. Because K2 is the second tallest mountain in the world. It should have been K1
1: you should write Thomas Montgomery and yeah. the great trigonometric survey of British India
0: Yeah it's company
1: look, yeah. Kevin, a letter
0: Kevin it's not about height it's about trigonometry
1: Oh okay yeah why was 2 feet added to the height of the first official measurement of
2: Everest Uh, Because a person died right at the top and uh, (laughs) like raised the he's like kind of in a sitting position and he's just like frozen solid and so just raised the mountain by two feet. It's
0: because uh, when Sir Edmund Hillary finally reached the summit, he took a huge coiler on top to make sure that nobody would ever stand in that exact spot ever again. A two foot coiler. It's a two foot coiler. He really wanted to cement his place in history with shit.
2: It came out like ice cubes. (laughs) <laughs> <kling>, <laughs> <Yeah. ding, laughs> Maybe it's easier
1: to stack. Like when you press the button on your fridge and it'll just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: precisely. Brown. In
1: 1856, the first measurement of Everest came out at exactly 29,000 feet. To avoid accusations that he'd guessed, Andrew Waugh, the man who was tasked to survey the mountains, decided to add two feet to his measurement to make it more real.
2: <laughs> you know what that says? That says he does. He is making it up. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. he's completely making it up. In order to make it seem real, I will lie. And you know why they didn't round it down? Because they didn't want that like dollar thing. They didn't want it to be twenty eight thousand nine hundred and ninety nine because yeah. then it's like less impressive than twenty nine thousand. Right. But you're two. getting a deal. You feel like you're getting a deal. Yeah, then though no, they need have more desks because people be like, I can climb twenty eight thousand <laughs> foot mountain. <laughs> Pff, yeah. This is nothing. Twenty nine thousand view? Ooh, hold on a second, I gotta think twice. What if any are
1: the hazards of eating snow when trying to survive on a mountain?
2: Uh, that you expend more energy digesting it than you do getting benefit from it?
0: Uh, that, yeah, that you would uh, freeze yourself. Hypothermia. Those are, are, both. are we talking about in your in your body or just taking snow and melting it and drinking it like with a campfire?
2: Not melting it. Just eating the snow. Just
0: eating the snow. Oh,
2: it's because, you know, there's a really good chance somebody peed on it before. These are all correct
1: answers. Hmm. Eating snow may actually lead to dehydration due to the process your body has to go through to heat and melt the snow once you eat it. Mm-hmm. Also, if the snow has been on the ground for a significant period of time, it can contain bacteria and other organisms that can make you sick. And this answer from a guy on OutdoorLife.com named Bo. Okay. As a guy with 30 years of ER and search and rescue experience, eating snow will lower your core temperature very quickly, faster than your body can compensate, faster than a roaring fire can warm you up. Mm-hmm. because it gets you cold from the inside out. You need yeah. to get calories in you to offset the energy your body uses to try to compensate. We have a word for people who eat snow in survival situations, popsicles. Nah. I've taken care of many popsicles. You have to put a tube down into their stomach and flush them with warm saline and run warm IV fluids into them. I don't know what national statistics are, but in my experience, the chance of survival for snow eaters is thin at best. Most will die because when hypothermia creeps up on them, they realize they have a problem they are too impaired to make to take appropriate action. Yeah. So, yeah, so
2: we we got we literally hit all three answers yep. right, now and two of them were mine. So I'm in the lead. Woo! What is the word origin and definition of the word sherpa? Oh, mm. it was when the first time when Edmund Hillary said I'm going to go clown Everest, and his dad was like, oh, "God," his dad was like, <laughs> "Don't do it, you're an idiot." He's like, "Sherpa, sure, sure." All right?
0: Can you when you ask questions like this, can you make up predictions for Kevin's <laughs> jokes?
2: you never see them coming. You and let's see what I've got see- in the
0: envelope. Yes, yes, you're f- sure, Pa.
2: <laughs> You'll never see it coming. I'm like a stealth fighter. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: I, it's probably some like colonial bullshit. Like There was a guy named Sherpa, so he just decided to call everybody Sherpa. Oh, this is my Sherpa. No, oh. that's, that's my name. No, Sherpa. Yeah, and he called the second tallest one Sherpa 1. Mm. That's right. Mm. This is Sherpa 2. He's seven feet yeah, tall. Yeah, he's
1: seven feet tall. Well, it is Tibetan for Eastern people. From "shar" meaning east and "pa" meaning people, uh-huh. they are an ethnic group from the most mountainous regions of Nepal, high in the Himalayas.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. so they're they're an actual ethnic group. So okay. it's
1: not like a job description, right? Right. It's like the people of that area. Okay. Yeah, but it's become a job description because yeah. uh,
2: this is like the number one employer.
1: Mountaineering terminology. Okay. Abseil. A b s e i l. Possibly abseil. No, I think it's
2: Abseal. Uh Abseal is uh the spray that you get when uh you have a you want a six pack but don't have one. Oh, okay. And it kind of like fills in the grooves, gives you kind of that shadowy effect, sort of like in, you know, and then it, and then it, then it hardens into like a shellacking. So
1: I was going to say when you press your stomach against a fence, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get that fake.
0: You get the fake the and fake, then you have to and seal then you, it yeah, in. Yeah,
1: spray it with a with a sealant. Yeah, that's right. So it's when you take your stomach off the fence you still have that six pack
0: yeah. uh is it the absolute ceiling even though it's not a c it's an s
1: no oh it is to descend a rope using a descender or maybe with just the rope around your body potentially lethal because of more deaths than actually climbing upwards americans call it repelling got it i have gone repelling that's why i find you so repellent nah i see
2: <laughs> disco leg uh i think i actually know the answer to this oh shit <laughs> It's when, you like, you know, lack of oxygen makes you uh, get kind of, like, you have to, you walk in an uneven gait and you can't, like, kind of keep your legs underneath you. Wrong. <laughs> Uncontrollable shaking of one or both legs on a climb.
1: Mm-hmm. Curable by pushing the heel of the leg downwards while the toe stays on the rock. Usually indicates imminent retreat, either voluntarily or gravity-assisted.
0: Imminent. Gravity-assisted? Gravity gravity-assisted retreat. that mean, yeah. mean falling? Yes. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: also known as doing an Elvis. Oh,
2: all right. Yeah, he did that, you know, the old, like, shake oh, the yeah. back leg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> expanding flake.
0: <laughs> that's that jerk that won't leave you alone and can't stop eating. hmm <laughs> Hey, how <laughs> you doing? What's going on? Yeah. No, I'll, I'll be there.
2: Worst oh. dandruff ever. Oh, the expanding flake?
0: <clears throat> mm.
1: Right. Well, a flake is a partially detached section of rock, which will often yield good holds along its detached edge. Mm -hmm. An expanding flake is a flake that moves when pulled on or which looks as if it might move or even detach completely if pulled hard enough.
2: So you don't want to try and climb on that. You like flakes, but you don't like expanding flakes. Got it. Right. Last one. Piton. Oh, that's the little thing you drive into the side of the rock and just like wrap your rope through so you don't – if you fall, it catches
1: you. That's true. And we all know this because of – dungeons and dragons yeah you're supposed to keep <laughs> doors open yeah a piece of metal which can be hammered into a crack to act as a to act as protection the end of the piton has an eye where a carabiner can be clipped often found on sea cliffs where their trustworthiness is in inverse proportion to how badly you need them trustworthiness so, oh. the,
0: so the more yeah. badly you need them the less trustworthy they are. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, right. of course. Right.
1: that's the pop quiz all right i'm pretty sure i won that all right let's talk about altitude sickness okay Also known as acute mountain sickness, Mm -hmm. hypobaropathy. Oh, how adorable. Yeah, right?
2: Right. I'm so sick.
1: The altitude bends.
2: Right. Or, in Peru, soroche. Oh, I love love that sauce. I love that sauce. I put it on my eggs and everything.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have soroche mayo in my fridge
2: Mm.
1: all
0: the time. Tasty.
1: Yeah. Is a pathological effect of high altitude on humans caused by acute exposure to low partial pressure of oxygen at high altitude. Yep. Commonly occurs above twenty four hundred meters. It presents as a collection of non specific symptoms acquired at high altitude in a, or in low air pressure, resembling a case of flu, carbon monoxide poisoning, or a
2: hangover. You are prepared, Kevin. I just gotta stay drunk as I'm going up the mountain. That's right. Hmm? That'll take care of that. That way, we right? won't know if you're yeah. drunk or if you're having altitude sickness. Yeah.
0: Precisely. Wait. Was it one and three? The or One and four. Fuck it. Both of you go. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is hard to determine who will be affected by altitude sickness, as there are no specific factors that correlate with the susceptibility to altitude sickness. Mm. However, mm. most people can ascend to twenty four hundred meters without difficulty.
0: I wonder if it's related to people who get um, like uh, space sickness, because they also can't. That's another thing they can't predict, right? Is you just go right. up and you don't know if you're just going to yep. get sick from being in weightlessness? I wonder if the that's there's any kind of correlation between mm. those two.
1: Acute mountain sickness can progress to high altitude pulmonary edema.
2: Who knows what that is? That's like when your brain explodes. No. That's when your lungs explode. Uh, Closer.
0: Edema is bleeding. That's when
2: your heart explodes. Fluid on the lungs. Yeah.
1: Ah. Or high altitude cerebral edema. Who knows what that is? That's when your
0: brain explodes. That's when your brain bleeds.
1: Yeah. Fluid on the brain. Mm -hmm. These are potentially fatal. Is there anything to be done about altitude sickness? Stop going up so high? Yeah. I was about to say go back down the mountain. Prevention mainly includes spending a period of time acclimatizing. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Climbing high and sleeping low, is in quotation marks. So, like, you'll, you'll, like, climb a half a day up and then climb, like, a quarter of a day down and Ooh, then sleep there.
1: Maybe. Kind of thing. Ascending at a reasonable pace, at most 1,000 meters a day above 3,000 meters. Mm-hmm. If you are already suffering from altitude sickness, an oxygen supply may help, as well as the drugs Diamox and or dexamethasone. That sounds
2: a lot like mexadethasone. Oh, yes. right! <laughs> you're in the de- you're, you're in the, in the, the Dex- Mexi death zone. The Mexi death zone. Yeah,
0: that's right. It's got a whole bunch yeah. of sugar skulls. Yeah. How you are fix there... that
2: is you take the dexamethasone. There must be some it high mountains it. in Mexico.
0: Um, not really. Well, Mexico City is elevated pretty high itself,
2: but it's it, the real mountains are in South America and in, in Peru and right. uh, the Andes Mountains.
0: The uh, highest major summit is the Pico de Orizaba.
1: Oh, it doesn't go above 8,000 meters. Which is, uh, yeah. There's 18, no maxi-death zone. Nope. 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 Too bad. For that. <laughs> that Could have been some hilarious mix-ups. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Public service <laughs> announcement. Man. Frostbite. This information comes from climbinghigh.com.
2: That is where you bite a, you fight off a frost giant with oh, your teeth. Oh, I thought you were going to say Nick Frost. Up there. The British actor. <laughs> sure. Well, I figure you could just outrun him. He's pretty hefty. You don't don't need to bite him? No. He's probably trying to bite you. Oh, that's what it is. It's when Nick Frost bites you. This is a callback to our freezing episode. Mm -hmm. Medically named cryopathy
1: sets in when the body is exposed to temperatures of or below zero degrees Celsius. The effects can be seen most commonly in the fingers, toes, chin, cheeks, nose, and earlobes. But it's actually the skin tissue and blood vessels of these extremities which are damaged. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, frostbite does not only set in at high altitude. It can occur in comparatively low temperatures as long as the wind chill factor compensates. Right. Wind chill factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This fact could account for a large number of frostbite cases where climbers are convinced that the numb feeling they are experiencing couldn't be frostbite because not only do they not feel cold, but climbers often have numb limbs for periods of time. Because of lack of circulation and whatnot. Because your boots are too tight. It is always wise to take a small clip-on thermometer on your mm-hmm. climb.
2: The speed Rectal of... thermometer, obviously. Yes. yeah, yeah just keep it in doing? Just keep it in at all times. Yeah. <laughs> if this falls out, I'm not climbing properly. It's
0: been so convenient since they got that, that monitoring app for your phone.
1: Um, oh, yeah, exactly. You mm-hmm. don't have mm-hmm. to keep
0: pulling it out and look. You yeah. just look at the phone, and it's got yeah. the reading straight from it.
1: The speed at which the condition develops depends entirely upon weather conditions and the duration and exposure to those conditions. Mm-hmm. Frostbite can arise little by little. Or progress through its three stages at an alarming rate. Who can guess what the three stages are? Stage one, stage
2: two, stage three. I like it. I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. Ding! I win again. But there are actually other words. (laughs) Okay. Different (laughs) words
1: than one, two, and three. Yeah, all right. Uh, First stage, second stage. I'll I'll give you a hint. I'll give you the first one. Yep. Frost nip is the
2: first one. Okay. Well, that's Nick Frost showing you his nipple.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Frost nip. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, it's frostnip slip. Actually, is a, you know the full phrase,
1: but this is the primary stage. Causes the skin to turn white, become soft to the touch, and the individual will feel pins and needles. Type sensation, mm-hmm. however, these symptoms are quite reversible and can be treated simply by flexing the fingers and toes, stamping the feet, clapping hands, pace placing them in the armpits or groin. I'd like to see you do that with your feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, breathing warm air on the affected area, or in more extreme cases, by immersing in warm water. Right,
0: you heard them, soda jerks, we want to see that.
2: All right, so frosty, S- so put your feet in your armpits, feet in your groin, and feet in
0: your groin. Mm-hmm. Well, not yeah, your groin, not somebody else's. That's right.
2: All right, so the second one. So third one's got to be frostbite. So what's between a nip and a bite? A um, a slurp? Frost slurp?
0: Frost lick? Frost sample? Well, a nip is a little more than a lick, though. I agree Mm. with you. Nip, uh, Nip, bite. bite. uh, What's in between uh, a nip and a bite? I don't know. I think a bite is the next step. I'm so confused.
1: (laughs) The second stage, superficial frostbite. Oh. Oh. Can be distinguished. So it's
2: like frostbite light.
0: No, it's frostbite that's like, look at me, I'm so pretty, (laughs) That looks so good.
1: Can be distinguished from frostnip as blistering may now occur. The area will be a yellowish gray in color, delightful, Mm -hmm. and will feel waxy or leathery as the skin is still flexible despite the microscopic ice particles forming in the skin cells. Oh, that's bad. It is also characterized
2: by severe pain when the affected area becomes rewarmed. Yeah, I hear about that. Mm. I had a uh, an old roommate of mine who talked about getting frostbite in Edmonton, Alberta. Oh yeah? Yeah, he was going to uh was classes to, at the, the University West Edmonton Mall. Of, yeah, he was going to classes at the University of Alberta and he lived like Three or four blocks away from school, (laughs) and uh, he just you know it was a cold day like you know ninety percent of the days in Edmonton are, and uh, he just wore like you know sunglasses and you know put a scarf up around his face and you know wore toque and the hood and the whole and the jacket and all nine yards, and uh, he got to class and he was kind of halfway through class and realized that his face was burning, Mm. and uh, so yeah he uh, he got frostbite on the sliver of skin between his sunglasses. And his scarf right on the tops of his cheeks. <laughs> nice. And he, he had this, like, just his face was burning on fire in class because it started to rewarm.
1: Don't go to Edmonton, anyone. Yeah, not I think the lesson that he learned reasons. here is not, not. in winter.
2: Unless you're shooting a movie about a post-apocalyptic hellscape, and then it's a perfect fit. If superficial
1: frostbite is left untreated, then deep frostbite can develop. Mm. This sets in at around minus 10 degrees Celsius. That's when Nick Frost gets super philosophical on you. Mm, Deep Deep frostbite is far more serious And the risk of permanent damage Including blood clots, gangrene And loss of limbs is increased Mm -hmm. This is because the extreme temperatures Have the power to freeze blood vessels Muscles, tendons, and even bone An individual might not even realize That his or her condition has progressed to this stage Because when nerves become frozen The feeling is lost to that area Yeah, even better If observed, the tissue will be hard and white and has the texture uh. akin to a frozen piece of chicken. Uh. Yum, 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 Oh, my God. Despite the high risk of losing limbs, it is not uncommon for a f- near full recovery to be made if proper medical attention is obtained.
0: Quick, what is it? What is it? What is it? Go to a doctor. Uh, st-
1: and, 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 <laughs> and then he makes you stick your feet in his groin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put them here. Yeah. Will this help? Well, like... It helps me. During recovery, a frostbite site will swell, and huge blisters are likely to form and then they go black eventually, right? Leave these alone.
0: Oh, don't like don't pop them. They There's... will
1: eventually shrink back to normal size, but will leave discolored tissue and signs of gangrene may arise. Uh, okay. This covering eventually breaks away and assuming frostbite was superficial leaves new pink shiny skin. Yay! We're all <sighs> little wolverines. If it was well, yeah, if it was deep frostbite then the limb or affected area will simply fall off.
2: Clonk. Uh, but that, I needed that. So we're
1: less Wolverine sometimes than geckos. Silver lining. Mm-hmm. By this stage, the nerves are so damaged that the
2: process is not painful. Oh, okay. No. Just like, just hear that you're kind of dozing off. And you just hear like funk. Yeah. You're like, oh my arm. I finally oh.
0: lost that last five pounds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the symptoms caused by frostbite are likely to make a climb very difficult, and so if a party member becomes ill, this usually means abandoning a climb. Furthermore, Mm -hmm. frostbite will often put its victims out of action for a few months at least. Mm -hmm. Preventing frostbite is easier than treating it. And this can be done in a few ways. Wearing adequate layers of clothing. Yeah, stay warm. And layers are better than one bulky jumper because not only do they trap air, but they allow for ventilation. Got it. Limit, or if you can, completely cut out alcohol and tobacco, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Okay. Alcohol triggers an internal rise in body temperature, causing the body's temperature regulator to dilate blood vessels in order to cool it down.
2: So my strategy of staying drunk so I don't get mountain sickness is pretty much out the window. It's not good.
1: For obvious reasons, losing heat on a mountain is not advised. Conversely, tobacco constricts blood vessels, particularly the tiny capillaries, which take blood to the body's extremities and so increases the risk of
2: frostbite. But if I can counteract this loss of heat through open capillaries, then I can still keep drinking, right? If you can. Yeah. I say yes. So I'm just going to wear a furnace.
0: (laughs) All right. Powered by alcohol. Coal-burning furnace.
2: Unnecessary exposure to the cold should be avoided. I agree with that statement. Yeah, such as climbing it. A- climbing a mountain. Yeah, climbing a mountain is unnecessary.
0: Going outside when it's cold? That's Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? There's uh, no answer to that question. I don't know. There's no... <laughs> I'm sorry, Shatner.
1: There's no... To hug the mountain. Oh. To make love to the
2: mountain. This is the thing on the internet. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I am confused.
0: <laughs> it's uh, the beginning of Star Trek uh, th- uh, five. Five.
2: He talks about hugging and making love to a mountain.
0: Well, remember the episode where where uh, the the movie where at the very beginning they're all camping and they're trying to sing campfire songs, and yeah. Kirk is climbing the mountain, but he's got his jet boots, or uh, yeah. and he falls. And then Spock has to grab. So we're talking him. about that scene. Right. And it's, yes. the, it's the director commentary, and Shatner's just becoming completely full of himself. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Kirk is climbing the mountain. Why is he climbing the mountain? And somebody's turned that into a song. It's fantastic. Yeah. We'll it. include it in the show notes. Treatment
1: for frostbite. Move the individual to a lower altitude. That's a good step. Okay. Bring him or her inside and cover the area in warm water for sessions of 20 minutes.
0: Sessions? Sessions. 20, oh, 20 warm, minutes in, warm 20 water minutes out, 20 I minutes yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought you mm-hmm. meant some other kind of, like, massage sessions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sessions alternatively soak a piece of cloth in warm water and gently place it on the area got mm-hmm. do not use dry heat such as a fire or heat pads because without sensation the area is likely to burn causing more damage yeah Ooh. yeah it is imperative that hot water is not used that the area yeah. is not knocked or rubbed
2: and that any blisters are left alone if your you know extremities are frostbitten it doesn't take much to be considered warm water mm. you know, like basically you just stick yeah. a canteen in your crotch As you do. As you do. Like, by the end of this episode, I'll have stuck everything in my crotch. My microphone's in my crotch right now. Keep the area raised and well away from any heat or sharp objects
1: Mm -hmm. uh, because feeling is reduced. The area may be injured further. Thawing
2: may be excruciating, but perseverance is paramount. So don't run with scissors while treating a frostbite patient. Why? Because you don't surround them with sharp objects. Oh, okay. Right. Once this is done, wrap carefully in
1: clean bandages, ensuring that fingers and toes are separated. Why? Because they're like fused together? Maybe. Or something? Maybe. Uh, Those uh. around the affected person may need to feed and clothe them to ensure the area is not used. Mm-hmm. The like, fingers or whatever. Or toes. Keep the skin clean after rewarming to avoid any infection. And <laughs> do not thaw an area if you cannot guarantee that it will not refreeze. Thawing and refreezing will cause more damage than leaving an area frozen.
2: Which is, that's true about like meat in your freezer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. can't
0: refreeze something after you've thawed it because no. there's a chance. Because it'll,
1: it'll get, look... get
2: gangrene.
0: <laughs> look, mom, I'm going to have to eat all this steak. Yeah. We unfroze it. You can't just.
1: Mm-hmm. Here's a special um, frostbite note that's not mountain related, but I'm including it anyway. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. Just fuck you guys.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. In fuck
1: us. the year 2000, Ranulf fa- finds, not Ray finds, but Ranulf finds. Okay. Mm-hmm. A British explorer attempted to walk solo and unsupported to the North Pole. Uh. The expedition failed when his sleds fell through the weak ice and Fines was forced to pull them out by hand. He sustained severe frostbite to the tips of all the fingers on his left hand, forcing him to abandon the attempt. Mm-hmm. On returning home, his surgeon insisted the necrotic fingertips be retained for several months before amputation to allow regrowth of the remaining healthy tissue. Right. Impatient at the pain of the the dying fingertips caused, finds, cut them
2: off himself with a fret saw. I don't know what a fret saw is, but it is not a saw that was intended for fingertip (laughs) removal. I know that. It is not for its, you know, original intent. Ah, This this person... It's basically a hacksaw. This person... Has patience issues, which is why <laughs> yes. he fell through thin ice trying to make it to the North right <laughs> <Maybe>, Pole. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> right? Because he couldn't wait long enough for it to freeze thick enough. Why he took his own fingertips off uh, despite his doctor's advice. Self-surgery callback.
0: Can we call it un- surgery un- when you just go, meh, and cut a piece <laughs> off? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Sure, I do. <laughs> okay.
1: In the history. 3300
0: BCE, Otsal Alps. That is uh, South Austria or North Italy. Thanks, Dave, for this. In possibly the earliest mountain mishap, a man died in the Otsal Alps and is now the oldest known natural European mummy. Hmm. All right. So, uh, the oldest known. And that he's mummy a, a uh, man. Gave birth to a child. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, while frozen. Yep. Otsi was discovered in 1991 by two German tourists and is now on display in the South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology. The body has been examined, x-rayed, dated, and has given scientists an incredible amount of information about, the life at the, about his life at the time of his death. Nothing I mean, about I, his
2: motivations for trying to climb a mountain, though. Uh,
0: they knew he was lactose intolerant and that he had an intestinal worm. Oh. Cat scans show that he'd eaten about two hours before his death. Pollen discovered in his meals show that he died during the springtime and that he'd eaten a mid eaten in a mid-altitude conifer forest. Oh. There are several theories for how his body got there. Originally, it was thought that he died of exposure whilst trying to cross the Alps or that he was a victim of ri- a ritual sacrifice. Oh. However, in 2001, a CT scan and x-rays discovered an arrowhead lodged in his shoulder and a matching tear on his coat. Yeah. Further examination discovered cuts and bruises to his hands, including one on his thumb that reached his bone and hey. hadn't had not had time to heal. Current theory is that he was with some others who got into a fight and had to flee over the mountains where he died from a combination of cold and blood loss.
2: Right. I mean, I guess trying to flee across the Alps is hard enough yeah. Yeah. without having to flee across the Alps with massive defensive wounds on your hands yeah. and right. an arrow in your back. I'm assuming hobgoblins attacked him. It was a party oh, of hobgoblins. Very Middle-earth of you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Could have been orcs.
0: Could have been. However, shortly after his death, his corpse was buried in ice where it remained for 5,000 years. I don't know if that means buried by people or just it fell into some I ice. Mean,
2: I think because he, he was trying to do it during the springtime. We know that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he probably just yeah. like went face down and then, you know, before any, any animals could eat him, he uh, got covered. Covered with ice. So here's... Th- yeah. Hmm. Would you like to have been an early man who... Gets frozen, you know, relatively early on in life, but then gets discovered 5,000 years later, and now you're a fascinating specimen? No. And the world's oldest naturally occurring mummy? Okay. Or would you rather lived out your days uh, cave painting and masturbating and, uh, <laughs> you know, to the ripe old age of, like, 42? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the latter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'll live
0: anonymously after my death. I don't give a crap.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't want to take—whoever well, shot me with an arrow wouldn't want to take that guy with me. Right. Like, that, uh, that goes without saying. really. That.
0: Mm-hmm. Although they had an arrow, and, a, and probably a bow to go with it, mm-hmm. and you ran, so I'm guessing you didn't have one yourself. Oh, it's probably because it was a green arrow situation. You were out-arrowed. Oh. Oh, my God. We're going to need a green arrow episode where he goes back in time and kills Oatsy. <laughs> Oatsy.
2: Oh, maybe it was Hawkeye. Could have been Hawkeye. Could have been
0: Hawkeye.
2: Which universe are we in, Marvel or DC? Right now?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're in Marvel. Really? More in Marvel. DC's got made-up uh, cities and stuff, right? Gotham doesn't actually exist. Marvel's in New York. Uh, yeah, so mm, I'll yeah. give him that. Also, they're doing D-
1: better at the box office. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we just generally like them more these
2: days. <laughs> DC does have a lot more villains and heroes without actual powers, though. Mm, Feels that's a little more okay. grounded. All right, they don't have mutants. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: but uh, but to balance that out, they have like godlike creatures, like Superman, who let's face um, it, could yeah. take over. Mm-hmm. <sighs> all right, all okay. we could discuss this yeah. all
2: day. Yeah, we're more in a wild storm, I think. <laughs> oh God, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the pouches.
1: 1936,
0: the Eiger. This is The eye of the tiger. Just compressed.
2: The Eiger. Oh, I was going to go with, it's a tiger with, like, spider eyes. Oh, it's got eyes all over it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just
1: like... Instead of stripes, it's got eyes. Yeah. This is in the Bernese Alps, Switzerland. Mm Mm-hmm. Since 1935, at least 64 climbers have died while attempting to climb the north face of the Eiger.
0: Okay, wait, wait. An Mm -hmm. Eiger is what you get when you cross a beholder and a tiger.
1: Oh. Right? With magic, of course. Right. More DD references. Yeah. This is an almost 4,000 meter high mountain in Switzerland. This has earned it the nickname Mordwand.
0: Mordwand, Mordwand I love Mordwand, it. Mordwand,
1: which means murder wall.
2: Ah,
0: uh, that's oh, okay. way better than Iger.
2: God, now I want to change my name to Mordwand. <laughs>
1: you can. In 1936, a four man team made up of Andreas Hinterstoisser. God, that sounds like a made up name. Tony Kurtz. <laughs>
0: okay. How? What is up with all these non-English names? Ah, oh, you're so weird. I'm going to make fun of you for having... Uh,
1: Willie Angerer?
0: Okay, now mm. that's funny.
1: Yeah. His dad was angry. Yeah. No, no, his, his, dad dad was made Willy people, Anger.
0: his dad made people angry, and that's you're how he got You're Willie Angerer, but you're Willie Angerer. <laughs> no, that's Angrier. Yeah, He's well. Angerer. He makes people angry. Oh, okay. He angers He's people. He's the Angerer. He's the Angerer. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And Edi Rainer... Okay. We're making the second attempt to climb the north face
0: of the Eiger. Right. So you've got a guy who's pissing people off. You've got somebody who's making it rain. You've got somebody who's tossing hinters all around. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what Kurz is doing. Mm-hmm.
2: This team is doomed. Now, uh, Kurtz went up, the, went up the river and uh, set up shop and they had to send Martin Sheen after him. That was an Apocalypse <sighs> Now reference. Okay. Long reach. That's <sighs> Captain Kurtz. Hinterstoisser traversed a slab of icy rock,
1: a feat which made the rest of the attempt on the Iger possible. Mm-hmm. This move became known as the
2: Hinterstoisser Traverse. Oh, okay. Did he wow. declare that out loud? Yes.
0: We're calling this the Hinterstoisser Traverse now. Tell it, everyone. And,
2: and he yelled it out so loud that an avalanche came down and wiped him out.
0: <laughs> it echoed so loud everybody around the world yes. on a mountain heard him.
1: Angerer was seriously injured by falling rocks, loosened oh. by the warmth of the rising sun. And I bet you pissed off about it. Yep. Well, people were pissed off.
0: Ah, uh, how did I re- you get seriously injured? Oh, you've made me so angry, yeah. Angerer.
1: They abandoned the attempt on the Eiger and decided to descend. Okay, mm. all right. The party became stuck on the face when they could not recross the Hinterstoicer Traverse.
0: Okay. Uh, way to go, Hinterstoicer, with your Traverse. Evidently, it's a one-way Traverse?
2: The weather- it's, a, it's more like just a Trav.
1: It's a Travesty, is what it is.
2: Okay. The
0: Hinterstoicer <laughs> Travesty. travesty. The, that's
1: the, when you try and go back down it. The weather then deteriorated for two days. The three were ultimately swept away by an avalanche, which only Ooh. Kurz
0: survived. Because oh. he wasn't the one doing anything dumb. There was hinterstoicing, there was angering, and there was raining. And he was like, I'm not, I'm just cursing, man. I don't even know what that means. Oh. Fuck, I'm going to survive. That's what he said. Oh, no, he, he put a
2: curse on everybody else. Oh. oh, we'll find out
1: that he was cursed. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, because he was left hanging on a rope. Okay. Three Swiss guides started on, the, on an extremely perilous rescue. They managed to give Kurz a rope long enough to reach them by tying two ropes together. Kurz could not get the knot to pass through his carabiner. Because his fingers were frozen. Could be. Yep. He tried for hours to reach his rescuers who were only a few meters below him. Then he began to lose consciousness. Oh, no. Mm. One of the guides, climbing on another's shoulders, was able to touch the tip of Kurz's crampons with his ice axe, but could not reach higher. Oh, my God! Kurz was unable to descend farther and completely exhausted said, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I can't go on anymore. And died.
2: Two meters above. Oh, like they could touch him with a shoulder and an ice axe. They could touch him. Yep
1: just jump and they would just land it on all of them and they've all just, gone
2: just build Go. snow stairs yeah maybe snow stairs oh yeah yeah build an igloo you have plenty of snow yeah boom,
0: boom, boom. I mean, this is going on for hours fucking apes trying to get at bananas are in are in cages right now going are you kidding me you couldn't reach that guy you had all the snow ooh
2: or the uh road warrior bladed boomerang just like chopped that uh rope and like oh yeah and you know, one of them, the brawniest of the three rescuers, that's right, catch him uh, in his uh, brawny. And then that guy, arms.
0: that guy who got his fingertips frostbitten, he catches it so that it just whoop, cuts them all off for him conveniently. Mm-hmm. Or if
2: he didn't
1: have that little boy from Road Warrior, yep. he could have also gotten Krull with his glaive. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes.
2: Now we're talking ninjas <laughs> with throwing stars. There you go. Yeah. Right. Where and, are your Swiss ninjas?
0: Uh, while we're talking about it, why not Cyclops from the X Men could shoot him down? And hey, Joe,
1: we're talking about real things oh, here. I'm sorry. All right. 1985, Ciula Grande, a eh? very per- Canadian of you. <laughs> in the Peruvian Andes. Uh, thanks again to Dave for this. Joe Simpson and Simon Yates successfully attempted to climb the Ciula Grande in the Peruvian Andes, a 6,344-meter-high mountain. Yeah. As they descended, Simpson slipped down an ice cliff and landed awkwardly, crushing his tibia into his knee joint, Me. thus breaking his right leg. Ah. 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 The pair whose trip had already taken longer than they intended due to bad weather on the ascent had run out of fuel for their stove and could not melt ice or snow for drinking water.
2: Okay, so this is the plot of the documentary Touching the Void. If you want to call it a plot, sure. <laughs> okay, it's a real it's the life story, story yeah. okay. right? Uh, this is uh, so the one thing that you've missed out on is that they were the first ever to climb that side of the mountain. Mm. That the other side of the mountain had been climbed many times, Mm -hmm. but this was far more difficult and had never been successfully achieved. We did
0: something even dumber. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely.
2: Yeah. With bad weather closing in and daylight
1: fading, they needed to descend quickly to the glacier about 3,000 feet below. Mm -hmm. Yates proceeded to lower Simpson off the North Ridge by tying two 150-foot length lengths of rope together to make one 300-foot-long rope. Right. Right. Sounds oh, like a D&D campaign again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. However, because the two ropes were tied together, the knot couldn't go through the belay plate. Yeah. That's a technical thing. Yeah. Simpson would have to stand on his good leg, his left leg, to give Yates enough slack to unclip the rope in order to thread the rope back through the lowering device with the knot on the other side. Yeah, the B-lay plate isn't as good as the A-lay plate. Yeah, the B-lay plate mm-hmm. is, is, is worse. Yeah. With storm conditions worsening and darkness upon them, Yates inadvertently lowered Simpson off a cliff.
2: Yes. <laughs> and this is recreated in the film because I'm assuming that there weren't just like surveillance cameras no. available <laughs> uh, on the mountainside to uh, you know show actual footage. And yeah, is uh, it would be a pretty awful position to be in. But he was not a couple of meters away from rescuers like no. Kurz was. No, no. He was, like, 80 feet over a giant hole. Because Yates was sitting
1: higher up on the mountain, he could not see or hear Simpson. He could only feel that Simpson had all of his weight on the rope. Simpson attempted to ascend the rope using a prusik knot.
2: hmm,
1: Uh Or prusik knot. However, because his hands were badly frostbitten, he was unable to tie the knots properly and accidentally dropped one of the cords required to ascend the rope. Yeah. Oh, boy. Simpson could not climb up the rope. Yates could not pull him back up, and the cliff was too high for Simpson to be lowered down. They remained in this position for some time until it was obvious that the snow around Yates' belay seat was about to give out. Because the pair were tied together, they would both be pulled to their deaths. Yates had to make the hard decision to cut the rope in order to save his own life. Mm -hmm. Doing so may very well have also saved Simpson's life, Mm -hmm. as he would have died of exposure if he had been left to hang in the strong freezing wind for much longer. When Yates cut the rope, Simpson plummeted down the cliff and into a deep crevasse. Mm -hmm. Exhausted and suffering from hypothermia, Yates dug himself a snow cave to wait out the storm. The next day, Yates carried on descending the mountain by himself. When he reached the crevasse, he realized the situation that Simpson had been in and what had happened when he cut the rope. After calling for Simpson and hearing no reply, Yates made the assumption that Simpson had died and so continued down the mountain alone. Mm -hmm. Simpson survived the 150-foot fall, despite his broken leg, and had landed on a small ledge inside the crevasse.
2: Yeah, and he said something about, like, if I would fallen, like, one foot to the left or two feet to the right, I would have fallen, like, another, like, 300 feet to the bottom of the crevasse. And oh, wow. For sure, I would have been dead. So.
1: When Simpson regained consciousness, he discovered that the rope had been cut and realized that Yates would presume that he was dead. It was impossible for Simpson to climb up to the entrance of the crevasse because of the overhanging ice and his broken leg. Therefore, his only choice was to lower himself deeper into the crevasse and hope that there was another way out. After lowering himself, Simpson found another small entrance and climbed
2: back onto the glacier via a steep snow slope. Well, a little bit more complicated than that because he realized that he thought it was solid ground underneath and he started to crawl along it. And then as he was crawling, he could hear that the bottom side of this shelf was like cracking and falling even Uh... deeper. So like he was crawling on this kind of ice crust. Right. And just, like, uh, took it one inch at a time to in uh, to not shake it up too yes. much. But eventually, uh, yeah, actually crawled to solid ground again.
1: From there, Simpson spent three days without food and with almost no water, crawling and hopping five miles back to their base camp.
2: Well, he crawled through the snow uh, by, like, basically pushing himself backwards down it so that his broken leg was kind of, you know, dragging right. behind him. Right, yeah. And then... Then he got to the part where the snow line was done, and now it was just giant boulders yes. and uh, piles of rock. This is called a
1: moraine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: And he had to get over this with his broken leg. Yes. Ugh. And it was he when he first started doing it. Wouldn't he, he would like hop like two feet and then pass out from the pain,
0: <laughs> and then he would like hop two feet
2: more and pass up from the pain because he could feel the blood filling up his boot. Oh yeah, that's uh. right. Yeah, from his severely broken leg.
1: Exhausted and almost completely delirious, he reached base camp only a few hours before Yates intended to return to civilization. Mm-hmm. Simpson wrote a book about the experience,
2: Touching the Void, which was later turned into a documentary. Which I watched, and we'll talk about more in pop culture. Yep. But it was a, a harrowing tale of survival. Yes. He yeah. sit there and he go, is this what I would have done? Would I have kept crawling... In spite of everything, saying that I'm not going to make it anyway, so why fucking? You have bother? to have a
1: certain mentality to even try to climb a mountain. So I think once you're there, you're like, sure. Well, he he talked about how he was like the secret I was just, I just need to get two feet.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got I need to get that next snow pile.
1: Yeah, and then and when I, you get to the next snow pile, all, all I need to do is get to that next snow pile yeah. over there.
2: It, it's true. He did talk about how that was the secret to like regaining a sanity, and Let then that be a lesson to, to
1: all of us when we see. Well, insurmountable odds. When
2: he was at the big I'm
1: only going to have to drink one more beer. i only going <laughs> yeah. to drink one more beer. He
2: uh, when he got to the rock pile, right? And he was like passing out every two feet. He saw like the ridge where he knew, this is my favorite part, where he knew he was, when he got to the top of the ridge, he was going to be able to see the camp down below yeah, and then be able to like wave at them and yell at them and get their attention so he wouldn't have to go the last like 300 meters or whatever it was. And then he got to it and when he that the exact moment he got there, a weather system moved in and it was socked in with fog. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he couldn't see them and there was high wind, so they couldn't hear him. So he's like, Ugh <laughs> he doesn't even know if they're still there because yeah. he can't yeah. see the tensile there. Because it's like, been like
1: however many days. And he's,
2: he's just like, Well, I figured I'd come this far. I should just call that last two hundred meters. And if they weren't there, then I then I could lay down and die. <laughs> right? I like I thought very <laughs> really thought about laying here on the top of this ridge, not going that last 200 meters and just dying right here. Wouldn't that have been great if the guys woke up the next day and yeah. went, oh, hey, who's that up there? And then they find him dead <laughs> at the yeah. top of that ridge.
0: That's right. Yates is like, yeah, I had to cut the rope. He fell to his death into a crevasse. Uh, that's him right there. Right <laughs> When, what is what? Did does any, did they talk? Do we know how they like? So you cut that rope. Like, no, to, there, like, there, there, there was not a about scene about in the
2: documentary where they were. You know, they're the reunited same. like the at a hospital. Yeah. He's like, so, dude, what's up with the cut rope? <laughs> like, there was. They did not. They did not. If that scene happened, it's not in the movie. Yeah, they probably I, worked it out behind
0: closed doors. I wonder, because like, really, what else could he do? Right, yeah, like I said, sure. if you didn't cut, they both
2: would have died. They both probably. would yeah. have just died.
0: Perfectly understandable. But at the maneuver. same time, your buddy that you went mountain climbing with Ooh. went well, <laughs> <laughs> and cut the rope. Right?
2: Well, I would, I would hope because they had climbed a bunch of mountains before Man. this one together. You yeah. would hope that he would at least be like, oh, this is shitty, right? Oh, darn yeah. it,
1: Kevin. If I ever have to cut the rope on you and you survive, uh-huh. I'll just get you
2: a gift basket. Oh, really? A gift basket? Nothing frozen. <laughs> no ice sculptures in that gift basket. Oh, okay. That would be rubbing salt in the wound. I feel so. Uh, in you know, if we're going to talk about the real life event that inspired a documentary, uh, we can also talk about the 2008 event on K2 that okay. inspired the documentary "The Summit," uh, which we will go into greater detail about the film in sure. the pop culture section. But I'll talk about the real life event right here. K two thousand K two K two 2008 <laughs> Pakistan. K2 is the second highest mountain on earth and is regarded by many as the world's most difficult peak to climb. Mm -hmm. For every four climbers that reach the summit, one dies trying, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier. The summit of K2 was first reached by two Italians in 1954. And they had kind of a little, like, uh, one of the Italian guys who was on that expedition is involved in the documentary. Like He does, like, Mm. a little interview about... Because they're drawing a correlation between when it was first done and, like, you know, this other event and sort of how they differed and how they were the same. Back in my day, we didn't have a no <laughs>
0: uh,
2: High did... tensile crab Yeah. <laughs> The deadliest day in K2 history occurred in 2008. Twenty-five international climbers from four different teams had taken advantage of the fine weather and attempted to reach the summit at the same time. On the ascent, a climber fell 100 meters to his death in an area called the Bottleneck. Mm. After he lost his balance while he unclipped from a fixed rope... Ah. So, yeah, what the problem was was that all these climbers, they had four different teams that got there at the same time. They are going to try and go at the same season. Okay. They all didn't want to, like, kind of be jockeying to, like, get there first. So they all decided they were going to work together.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. They
2: are going to become one giant team. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right? So, of course, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So because as the
0: team, they have more uh, opportunity for weak links. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
2: they start going up, and it, they're going so slowly that the guys at the end of the line, there's, like, three— Three or four friends who were, you know, were one of these teams. They were just like, screw this. We're I'm, never going to get there because I'm, everybody's moving gonna so fast. I'm going to pass slowly. you. I'm going to go over you. No, no, no. These four guys, they quit. They oh. like went back down to base camp. They're like, screw this. And then there was one of the guys in the middle of the pack who was like, I can go way faster than these bullshit guys in front of me. Oh. Hmm. So they had a fixed line that everyone was clipped into for safety. And he unclipped. To like and he straddled another climber oh. and was like reaching to reclip.
1: And the guy just went, push.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: Just elbowed in the face.
2: Yeah, just a, maybe an inadvertent, I don't know. But uh, as it's portrayed in the film, he like stepped on a patch of snow that gave way between him, and he slipped and fell. Hmm. And he actually slid like 100 meters and then he stood up and waved. Oh, I'm and then fine. He, and then he fell again. <laughs> I mean... Oh yeah. So then the guys down at base camp said, "Oh well, we saw him way before he fell the second time, so he's probably okay." So four of them went up to go grab that guy. Okay. And then they got there and like, "Oh shit, this guy's super dead.
1: Uh, <laughs> he's maximum dead, super yes. dead." Yeah,
2: but two of the guys that had gone back down were buddies of his, so they're like, oh. "Well, let's take his body down and bury him." Right. And the fourth guy was this Norwegian guy. Was like. Are you nuts? Like, why are we doing this? And they're like, well, we want to do it. So he like, starts to give them a hand. And the fourth guy, uh, he was this, uh, I think he was Indian or Pakistani. He like, started to get uh, crazy leg. Oh. Right? And then he fell the off the side leg. of the mountain trying oh, to bring no. the dead body down. Oh, God.
0: I'm leaving you up there, Kevin. I'm leaving you up there.
2: That's- a total of 18 climbers reached the summit that day on the descent at about 8.30 p.m. well after dark. A group had almost navigated back to the bottleneck when a serac broke off from the ice field above. A CERAC is a block or column of glacial ice often formed by intersecting crevasses on a glacier. Commonly house-sized or larger, they are mm. dangerous to mountaineers since they may topple with little warning. Nice. This CERAC uh, actually came off took out one of the climbers right. and severed all the fixed ropes that they'd laid oh. out. So now all these people coming back in the dark, they were just gonna like follow the rope down. No rope. And they get to the end of the rope and it's like it's gone, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then these other climbers are taking is, another route yeah. and they couldn't find the rope at all. Right. So then they sat on the top of the Sarak all night waiting for daylight so they could see how to get back down again. Right. So it was like a I think comedy of errors might be the wrong term because it wasn't very funny? Yeah. A tragedy of errors. A a tragedy trage- trage- the rest of, so as a result of this Serac breaking up, the rest of the climbers were now stranded on the summit inside the death zone above 8,000 meters. Some of the group tried to descend in the darkness without use of fixed rope, while yeah. others decided to bivouac and wait until morning. Some climbers were successful in descending, but one fell as he reached the bottom of the bottleneck. Serac Falls continued, took the lives of seven oh, wow. more climbers and Sherpas. In all in all, 11 Mountaineers died. Okay. Three others were seriously wounded. Worst single accident in the history of K two mountaineering. And there was one of the teams was a Korean team, and the Korean team leader was the one who was supposed to like you know uh, lead the fixed rope team up ahead. And then he sat in his tent and smoked for like an hour longer than he was supposed to. Oh, already heard You're not supposed to smoke or drink. That's right. Mm. He was smoking. So then there was this. Sherpa, who wasn't working as a Sherpa, he was actually one of the climbers. Okay, and uh, he said, "Well, I'm going to take charge and like lead the fixed rope team up." Right, and uh, so then the Koreans went up without their like team leader, or like two hours later than they were supposed to, or something like that. And then they were the ones who tried to climb down in the middle of the night and like kind of fell to their death and got wiped. And two of them died, and then two of them got wiped out by uh, falling ice. And they like sent uh, some of their you know uh, Pakistani. Um, pack people up to like try and retrieve the bodies, and one of them got killed. Yeah, it was a complete it was a clusterfuck. Utter, the only like, and but the Sherpa guy, he went up there and he like pulled two guys off the mountain. Hmm. That w- if they'd left him up there, there would have right. been two more deaths. But like, so this guy was without a doubt the hero of the story. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion
1: to this episode of Caustic Soda.